here. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign will happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. So uh, right now, we have reached a point where uh, we will be preaching through a small sermon series, if you will, uh, within the book of Exodus. And this series is based on the characteristics of God's righteous judgment on, a, on, on an idolatrous nation, and, uh, which are found between chapters 7 and 14 of the book of Exodus. Uh, basically, they cover the, the ten plagues. Now, the, the reason why we are focusing on the characteristics of God's judgments uh, within these chapters is to learn about God's holiness. Uh, this, this is a, 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 a very vital, uh, these are very vital passages to teach us about his holiness. And we learn about his holiness through the way he executes his judgment on the nation of Egypt. But we also learn about his holiness through the mercy that he gives the Israelites. So that's the priority here is to learn about God's holiness uh, through his, the execution of his judgments and also uh, how he gives mercy uh, to the brokenhearted. Uh, the plagues, them, they in themselves are secondary in these chapters. Uh, they are very interesting uh, and, and, and pretty provoking, eye-opening, um, especially if we put ourselves in their shoes, and we'll do that a little bit today. But these plagues are secondary to uh, what the author is wanting us to focus on within these chapters, and that is God's holiness and how he executes his judgment and how his judgments are sure. You see, God uses the plagues as a sign. And this sign, the purpose of the sign is so that the Egyptians and also the Israelites will know that he is the Lord. He has made that pretty clear several times. He has said that. Last week, Pastor Laramie spoke about the unrepented heart of Pharaoh and how God saw right through his motives, how God saw the intent of his heart. He saw right through his actions every single time, and Pharaoh ended up showing himself uh, to be false, to have false repentance. We saw that Pharaoh's heart, how it stayed hard or it stayed cold all the way up to the end. He thought about repenting. He almost went through it. It seemed like he actually went through it. But then we come to find out that Pharaoh's heart grew hard 
and that he changed his mind. We saw that over and over and over again, and each time God saw right through it. And in the end, God rightly judged him for his unrepented heart. And as we saw that unfolding, we can know for sure that the judgment of God will come to everyone. As I read about his judgments, I, 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 just, I just know God has, says, God has said excuse me, that he will judge the nations. The Bible says, for all will stand before the Lord and all will be held accountable for what they have done in the body. They will be accountable for every single thing. Even every misspoken word. As, as detailed as that, that's how the Lord will judge the nations. Listen to John chapter 5, verses 28 through 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You see, just like Pharaoh couldn't be fooled by, or excuse me, just like Pharaoh couldn't fool God, no one else will be able to fool God either. In order for someone to come to saving faith, God requires a truly repentant heart. And someone who, and that is someone who sees himself as a complete and utter sinful person and who mourns over his condition. In the Beatitudes, Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he follows up that with, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is, Blessed is the sinner who mourns over his sin and turns from it, for he shall be comforted. Now, the next characteristic of, characteristic of God's judgment comes to us in Exodus chapter 8, verses 20 to 24. And that's the passage that we just read today. Now, within our text today, we see how God executes swift judgment on, on the Egyptians, but shows his tender mercy to the Israelites. And that brings us to our sermon summary. The sermon summary is this, and this is based off of Psalm 46, chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 46, excuse me, the Psalm chapter 46, uh, verse 1. The Lord is our refuge and strength, especially in times of trouble. Let me repeat that because I did my best to really mess that up. Psalm 46, 1. The Lord is our refuge and strength, especially in times of trouble. First thing that we see in our text, um, verses uh, the verses that we just read, 20 to 24, we see that the Lord displays his power through his judgment and also through his mercy. You see, up to this point, the Egyptians and the Israelites were to know that the Lord is God by several different things. First of all, in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, we see that the Lord takes the Israelites to be his people. And from that, the Lord says that the Egyptians will know, the world will know, that I am God, I am the Lord. Then we see in Exodus chapter 7, verse 5, we see that the Lord decides to stretch out his hand against Egypt while bringing out the people of Israel from 
among them. And the reason for that is for everyone to know that the Lord is God. Then we see in Exodus chapter 7, verse 17, that the Lord strikes the water that is in the Nile and turns it, all the water in Egypt into blood. And the reason behind that is for all to know that he is God. And then we get to our passage today, Exodus 8, 22, and we see the Lord setting apart the land of Goshen, where the Israelites lived, so that no swarms of flies shall be there. And the reason for that? So that everyone will know that he is God. You see, these four signs display the unique qualities of the one and only sovereign God. In our text today, in in verse 22, we see God and how he chooses to show himself to all, first of all, by his judgment on Egypt, and then also by his tender care of the Israelites. When we see that, that's in, in, in us as believers, when we see that, that is good news for us. That is cause for us to celebrate. See, while the people of Pharaoh are facing God's judgment, the people of God are experiencing his grace. Today, while the people of the world are facing God's judgment, we who are in Christ are experiencing his grace. And and we must be thankful for that. We must, first of all, remember that, but we must also be thankful for that. You see, God, in in this case, God stands in stark contrast to Pharaoh. Because here, God is able to, he is able to execute his judgment and also protect his people. And Pharaoh, he can't do either. He can't execute his judgment on the Israelites anymore. They They were plagued for years and years and years, hundreds of years. But now God has put a stop to that. And now Pharaoh cannot even execute his judgment on the Israelites, and he can't even protect his own people. And God is doing this so that everyone will know that he is the Lord. So while the the Egyptians are experiencing God's judgment, the people of God are experiencing his grace. In verse 23, it says that God makes a distinction between his people and Pharaoh's people. When you see that word distinction, it's very important. When we look at the word, it means to be set apart, to be saved from something. And when we think about the meaning of that word, it, it, it it just brings encouragement to my heart and it should bring encouragement to all of our hearts. It means to be delivered from a desperate circumstance. So we see it there in verse 23 where he says, but on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you, sh- that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of all the earth. So when the Lord sets them apart When he puts a division between his people and their people, it means he is making a distinction. He is setting them apart. He is delivering them from a desperate circumstance. 
Now, when we look at the flies here and that whole plague, well, it, it isn't as if flies were created here at this moment, or right? like no one had ever seen flies before. Uh, flies were common back in that time, just as they are now. And the, even though they were common, it was not common to see them in this magnitude. I imagine that flies back then were like mm, mosquitoes are to us now. And I imagine that people back then used to hate them just as much as we hate mosquitoes here in Texas. Right? After a good rain, at, uh, maybe two or three days of raining, and you can barely walk outside because the mosquitoes are just a nuisance to you. And back then, they didn't have AC, like we didn't get to enjoy AC, although it feels a little warm in here today. Uh, but they had open doors, open windows, so it was common for flies to come into their house, but not, in, not, not at this magnitude. Just like when we go outside and we are bothered by mosquitoes or insects or anything else, they're a nuisance, but imagine being overrun by mosquitoes today. Or just imagine being overrun just by flies alone. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but I've looked at this plague before in the past and I thought, you know, if you're going to think of a plague, why flies? Like that can't be too bad, right? That can't be too bad, but you really start to think about it. And as I was, as I was reading and, and studying and just looking at this plague alone, I came to the conclusion that that plague is pretty horrible. It was, it's disgusting. It's horrible. To, it's, it's beyond a nuisance. You see, the Egyptians suffered through these swarms of flies. They were all over them. And it wasn't like one or two, but... You know, imagine sitting out in your backyard, you're having a barbecue, and you're sitting and relaxing, and you feel one fly on you. Doesn't that just want, it makes you want to take a bath, right, sometimes? You feel like a big old horse fly just land on your arm. And then you feel like two or three of them. At that point, it's like, it's time to go inside, right, or do something about it. But the Egyptians are being faced with flies all over them, and I start to imagine you know, two or three flies are pretty disgusting on you, but imagine them all over your body. That's the plague that they were facing. But, you know, I said, I gave you an example, and I said, well, if you get two or three flies on you nowadays, you just run inside. And, and now you're in good AC, you can sit down, and you don't expect anything to be flying on you, right, or crawling on you. But here in this case, there was no escape. The Bible makes it clear that their houses were filled with flies as well. So if they try to get away from the flies that go inside their houses, everything in their house was covered with flies. See, we're pretty serious about flies in a Garcia household. And the reason why I tell you that is I went to the store several months ago and I got me one of those big old major fly swatters, the ones that have the, the, uh, the electric button on them. I don't just like swap my flies, I electrocute them push down that button, and we walk around, and we try, to find, we try to find flies to kill. But even that, 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 that fly killer that I have that electrocutes flies, if I were to walk into my house and it's filled with flies, there's nothing I could do at that point. So not only are they all over everything that we have inside, but they're all over us as well. And every household in Egypt had them. It wasn't like Pharaoh was excluded from this plague. He also suffered through the same thing. Now, even, even that's pretty bad and pretty uncomfortable. 
But the Bible says the ground in which they stood was just covered with flies. So it, it wasn't even like they were just focused on the food. They were devouring everything, even in places where they walked. It, it was impossible for them to walk anywhere without hearing, and this is going to sound kind of disgusting, but it, it, it really needs to be said to, for us to know the magnitude of this plague. They could not take a step without hearing the crunching of flies. That's pretty good for right before lunchtime, right? But, but see, I want us to understand this plague. I want us to understand God's judgment in this case. And to take it even further, now, now we know what they are facing. Now let's think about the things that we do every single day and how those things would be affected by it. You have flies outside. You have flies inside. You have flies all over the ground. You have flies all over you. I talked about lunchtime. How hungry would you be at that moment? Anything you eat, you would ingest flies with it. How about that? Because they were littered everywhere. The land was destroyed by them. So they were on every single thing. We don't think about that sometimes. We don't take it that far, but this is the plague. Anything they wanted to eat. It had flies on it. It's not like they could brush off one or two or three. I don't know about you, but if I'm cooking outside and I get my plate ready and, and, and I take it outside, we're about to eat. I go inside and get a drink. I come back. There's two flies, three flies on it. I'm throwing that out. I'm not going to sit there and, and try to you know, knock it off where they were. I'm throwing that out. But imagine your plate, your food, everything completely covered with flies. They couldn't sleep. Imagine sleeping with flies all over you. And I tell you what, if you're a mouth breather, you're in some serious trouble. Think of how that was. Normal things, eating, sleeping. How about work? You're out there in the field, you're working, you're sweating, you're having to swat flies away from you because they're just all over you. That's a day I'd be calling in sick, I tell you what. They couldn't even see through the swarms. And then we finally get to the bites. We know that some flies, especially these big old horse flies here in Texas, they'll bite you pretty good. It feels like a pinch. You get one, it wakes you up. Imagine them throughout your whole body, the whelps that they may have caused. You see, as you think about it more, I hope you come to the same conclusion I have, that this was a terrible situation. It just wasn't a bad situation. It wasn't a nuisance. It was a terrible situation here that they had going on. And yet, we see something very special. We see something very unique. We see something very encouraging. That although the Egyptians were dealing with this in the land of Goshen, that was there in Egypt, a territory in Egypt. Right on the Nile, all the Israelites were delivered from that plague. There was, there was a, a line, a distinction that was made where the flies just stopped. They didn't go past that line. The Israelites weren't suffering like the others were, like the Egyptians were. They had been set apart. They had been saved. 
God was watching over them. Verse 22, but on that day, God said, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there. You know, this isn't the only example of that. There are other examples of his providential care that are found throughout these plagues. I want to take you through some. If you would turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 9, and we'll look at verses 3 through 4. This is the fifth plague where all the livestock in Egypt died. Let's see what it says here. The hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. Those were Moses' words to Pharaoh. But the Lord will make a distinction. There's that word again. He will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. Then we see another example. Exodus chapter 9, verses 25 through 26. Now this is the seventh plague. This is the, the plague of hell. It says here, the hell struck down everything that was in the field and all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hell struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hell. And then we see in the ninth plague, we would turn to chapter 10, verses 21 through 23. Bible says there, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Now, now this line is just so profound, a darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. And then in Exodus 11, verses 4 through 7. This is the tenth plague. This is the death of the firstborn sons. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl, all and all of the firstborn of the cattle. They shall be a, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that I am the Lord, 
that I, the Lord, make a distinction between Egypt and Israel. We see it over and over again. The Lord has decided to execute his judgment on a nation that fully deserves it. And the Lord has decided to give grace to a nation that does not deserve it. And he does it for his glory. Praise God for that. We are that nation. We are those people who don't deserve it, and yet God has given it to us. You see, nowhere in the plague passages does it say that the Israelites suffered with the Egyptians. It doesn't say that specifically. The plagues are sometimes described to have occurred over all the land of Egypt, but that seems to be a designation for the totality of God's judgment over Egypt itself. I'm not saying that God's people weren't affected by those plagues and that they didn't suffer at all because I personally think that they did. But no matter what happened, and when I say that, I'm not saying I'm going against Scripture in these specific cases, but in those other cases where nothing is mentioned about the Israelites not suffering, that's where I'm saying that maybe they suffered through some of it. But no matter what happened, we can know for certain that Egypt was the target of God's wrath and Israel was a recipient of his grace. God took care of his people. He gave them what they need when they needed it. Same is true for us today. I think there's a very important message here. A message that we must get, that must excite us, that must uh, encourage us. And it, the message is this. See, the Bible is showing us that within these passages, um, that the Lord, the Lord I am, that he executes divine judgment on the unrighteous and gives grace to the righteous. Now, there's a big difference between the two. I like to talk about those two, the unrighteous versus the righteous. When I say unrighteous, I mean sinful men and women, children, who do not, who do not honor God as God or give thanks to him. These are people who produce the fruits of the flesh that are led by impure hearts. Let me uh, repeat that. Sinful people who do not honor God as God or give thanks to him. Those who produce the fruits of the flesh that are led by impure hearts. Those who are fully committed to sin. Those who are okay with the state that they're in and their bondage. They're okay with their bondage to sin. That is the unrighteous. Now the righteous, listen to this very carefully. Listen to how I start off this definition. Sinful people. Right? What, how do I start off the unrighteous? Sinful people. Notice something in common? The righteous. Sinful people. Now here's the difference. Who have been saved. 
by grace, through faith in Christ. Those who exhibit the fruits of the Spirit because they are led by a new heart that they received from their Heavenly Father. We must understand that the Israelites, they did nothing to deserve God's grace. In fact, we've been talking all the way up to chapter 8, we've been talking about how they did not believe, how they did not follow, and we'll continue to talk, to the, uh, talk about them in that way. They did not follow the word of the Lord. They did not believe the Lord. They didn't trust the Lord. They complained about everything. They didn't deserve it. The Egyptians and the Israelites started in the same place. They were both sinful men. That's why we as Christians cannot look at others and say we're better than them. We cannot. We started in the same place. The difference is we were saved. We were saved by God through Christ. That is the difference. And now we are led by a heart that loves the Lord and wants to please him. So we must understand, again, we must understand that the Israelites did nothing to deserve God's grace. In fact, they, they doubted, they disobeyed the Lord, but yet the Lord saved them from his wrath. They simply received his grace so that all may know that he is the Lord. We see one that was left in his sinful state, the Egyptians, and the other was saved from his sinful state. And both were to the glory of God. It reminds us, it should remind us of ourselves, how, how you cried out to the Lord and he saved you from being slaves to sin. Not only did he just save you in that moment, but he empowers you to live for him. And not only that, but he has also promised to give you grace. And, and this grace, we need to mention that it has an asterisk on it, even though you don't deserve it. He has given you this grace. And he has decided not to subject you to his wrath, even though you do deserve it. He has said, no, I'm going to make a distinction. He has called you out personally and said, I'm going to make a distinction with this person. They're going to be saved from my wrath for my glory. That's the light that you stand in today or that you sit in today. If you walk around and you wonder what you should be thankful for, that's it. That makes all the difference in the world. And maybe we don't think about this here and now because this is not the last day we're not facing God's judgment ultimate judgment right here today but it is something that we should think about every single day he has made a distinction for you instead of receiving his wrath you are receiving his 
mercy. All this is a gift from God through Christ. Now, I talked about the final judgment of God, and the Bible talks about how that is sure to come. And we see a description of it, a very small description of it, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 7, that I want to read for you today. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. This talks about how later there will be trouble. There will be trouble for the world. It says here in first, or 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, But by the, by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So there is trouble that is promised, that is coming. God has decided so. Judgment is coming to the world. No one can escape it. That's why I said everyone will stand before the judgment seat of God. We are told about that. Now we can look at that passage and and if we do not have good theology, if we do not read our Bibles, if we don't understand God's holiness and how he executes his judgment and how he gives out his grace, then we would be fearful of a verse like that. But we who are believers, we who, are, who trust in Christ, we who have been saved, there's a different message for us. And that message, and one example of that is John chapter 14. Verses 1 through 4. As I said, there will be trouble for the world, but when, when we are spoken to, when God speaks to his people, his sheep, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. See the difference? There's trouble for the world, and yet the Lord tells us, let not your hearts be troubled. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, listen right here, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That's the God that we serve. That is our Redeemer. That is our protector. He is the one that we owe everything to. He is the one that, that causes celebration in our life. He is the one that blesses us immensely. He is our refuge and our strength. And any trouble you may find or have to endure. I hope that this causes you to think about that. I hope that this stirs something in you where you see the grace of God in your life and you see, you see how abundant it is. And I hope you see that you do not deserve it in any way. Look, listen, I understand that it's, it's hard to sit under... Uh, a, a teaching or a, a, when I say a teaching, I mean a, a consistent teaching. 
it's hard to sit under a consistent teaching where you are continually told that you are a sinner. That, that you are a sinner, you're sinful. And you're like, man, give me a break a little bit, right? But listen, it is completely true. It is completely true, and, and we need to be reminded of that all the time so that we can know what God has done for us. There, there, is, there is no reason for me, Pastor Laramie, or anybody else to, to cover that up and tell you that you're a good person. You may be a good person in the sense of creature to creature. Yeah, you're a good person, but when we compare ourselves to, to God, to the creator, creature to creator, we are horrible sinners compared to the holy God. saved from our condition and if you are in Christ today God has saved you from that condition listen now you have every reason to live for God you know when you don't feel like doing something for the Lord you have, you have every reason to do it When you don't want to fellowship with his people, you have every reason to fellowship with his people. When you don't want to serve his body, you have every reason to serve the church. When all you want to do is spend time for yourself and do stuff that you want to do and and make life about you, you have every reason not to do that. See, because I, I just don't, I don't think that we, we get it many times. We surely don't think about it enough, what the Lord has done for us. Because if we truly thought about it enough, then we would live different lives. And you have to understand that, that this is convicting for me as well, because this whole week, in fact, I was on the phone this morning with, uh, I'm going to tell on myself here a little bit. I was on the phone with another pastor friend of mine this morning. And we both came to the conclusion that we were tired. And we were talking back and forth and we both came to the conclusion. Well, I didn't come to the conclusion, but we were both honest with each other and said, I don't feel like preaching today. Had that conversation today. You're like, what? Pastor didn't feel like preaching? Yeah. Yeah, it happens. More than you know. And I'm not sitting here bragging about that. I'm sitting here saying, that shouldn't be crossing my mind. You see, I tell you that because I want you to know that I'm just not preaching at you. Just at you by yourself. I'm preaching at myself as well. I go through the same things that you go through. I do the same things that you do. We all do them together. We sin in different ways, but yet we all sin. And as I'm preaching to you right now, right here, this is not in my notes, but I'm being reminded that I need to commit myself to the Lord no matter what. 
in everything that we do. The one thing I'm grateful for, though, is even though I don't feel like preaching, I'm still preaching. I hope that's a testimonial to you that even though you don't feel like doing what God has called you to do, that you still do it. We are truly blessed. We need to realize it. Let's pray.